Hi, come on in. And join in. It's the very merry life. Hi, I'm Mary Hendricks, and you might know me as that relatable AF mama over on Instagram who hopefully feels like an old friend at this point. And if not, it won't be long till it feels that way as we get raw, unfiltered, and very unapologetic in all things motherhood, marriage, sex, and more. From moments worth savoring to moments worth surviving, get ready to leave feeling seen and supported. You have a friend here now. So hey, take a seat. What's going on? All right. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Very Merry Life podcast. But today is an exciting one because obviously, if you saw the title of it, we're talking boobs. Uh, which I feel like that's ow, a, topic, ow. a top, topic of conversation a lot for me. But today is another in, uh, different episode because for the first time, I have Katie from Mommy Needs More Wine, who is my bi-monthly, semi-monthly, yeah. bi-monthly, bi-monthly co-host uh, who's joining me for our guest. And this is going to be great. And it makes sense as to why you'll hear that in a second uh, as to why she's joining me. But of course, if you guys like it, because you guys love Katie, let me know. And then maybe we'll bring her on for more. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. So we have Dr. Robin Roth here from the Booby Doc. Yes. <laughs> Correct me if I say anything wrong, but you you are a board certified radiologist that specialized in breasts, correct? That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, Yeah. I've been practicing for nine years now and I I do breast and abdominal imaging, but the breast and body doc doesn't sound as catchy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So she is the booby doc over on Instagram. So I will link all the information for her. uh, That way you guys can give her a follow and learn about everything that we're going to talk about today. But we definitely wanted to bring her on uh, just because Katie, if you don't know, and I'll let you explain. Katie, you explain actually. What do you do for a living? What do I do? I am a a ultrasound technologist of 17 years. So I I feel like a veteran. Um, And I would say in the last 12 years of my career, I've specialized mostly in breast imaging. Um, so when we came across Dr. Roth's page, and if you guys, you guys can't see, well, you might be able to see, but she has a whole, uh, boot, like, uh, what is it? A tapestry of breasts behind her. She, yeah, she's a board certified, uh, radiologist. And you guys know that I work directly with radiologists in ultrasound. So we work as a team and I thought, how great would it be to bring you onto Mary's podcast? Because it is so important, and it's important that you are a board-certified radiologist. That's right. And ultrasound techs are such an important role. So thanks for all you do. You are like the eyes and ears. Liter- no, eyes and hands, I guess. Hands, yeah, right. Of all yes. the radiologists. <laughs> well, and then I'm just someone that has boobs. So I'm just going to be here as the fly on the wall <laughs> Mary, in this conversation. I love, <laughs> I love it. Everybody has breasts at some point in their life. Included. The go. small, the big, it doesn't matter. Even if you're flat as a wall, you still have breast tissue. I get that question a lot. Taking, we, we're going to talk about all of it. And I am so excited to be here. And yeah, like you mentioned, I run a popular social media account called the Booby Docs. It's actually plural because it's a long story. But my, my best, my breast friend, uh, Dr. Adrian Rosenthal, used to do it with me. Uh, she left at some point. We still work together, but she doesn't like social media. But we did. We We also... Um, yeah, so my my social media account is talking about breast cancer in an educational and approachable way. So opening the conversation about breast and breast health, because it's obviously so important. Um, I also have a podcast as well called The Booby Docs, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health and Beyond. Um, so I am so happy to be on your podcast. I'm usually a podcast host, never a guest. 
So thank you for having me. I know. It's always fun. It's always fun when the tables are turned a little bit. It's always good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I'm so excited. Like I said, I'm just someone here with boobs, but I just feel like it's, I, I, we're not in the month of breast cancer awareness month. What month is that? You know what? Every month it's is October. Every, it's October, but I was going to say, I was going to say October. Yeah. Every month, every is, month breast is breast cancer, cancer awareness, awareness month, month around here. That's right. Okay. We need to be vigilant all year round. So, you know, we love yeah. it in October, but we love it in, in May and June as well. So it's yeah. important. And it's, I feel like it's one of those things that you really just don't think about. And I know unless you go to your annual appointment, you really don't think about it. And I think, this is especially a, an important episode, and it's going to be a great reminder for everyone listening because I have a lot of moms that listen to the thing, to my the thing, my podcast. And as a f- mom of little ones, and Katie agrees, yeah. it's yeah, we all have, we're all moms of little ones, yeah, yeah. It's very hard to get out of the house and make time for ourselves and our own health. And I think when we talk about self care and in, in prioritizing self care, we think about we. Social media has made it seem like getting your nails done, going get your hair done, yeah, taking going, a shower. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to your doctor's appointments. Right. Yeah, yeah right. it's going to your doctor's appointments. I want to use this as opportunity to say that breast breast health is self care, right? Like we need to start taking, yep. you know, our our self care includes these doctor visits, these annual doctor visits, a monthly self breast exam, knowing your body because you are ultimately. And this goes out to everybody. You are your best advocate. You are your breast advocate. And you know your body breast. So, you know, it's really up to you, you know, especially for women who are not of the screening mammogram age, young women under the age of 40, maybe even their 30s, 20s. It's really important, especially, you know, to to be aware of your breasts. Do I really do support a monthly self-breast exam because 80% of young women who are diagnosed with breast cancer find their breast cancer as themselves. Um, and, um, about 20, about 12,000 women a year are diagnosed with breast cancer every year under the age of 40. So it's it's a crazy number. It's a crazy number. And breast cancer is the most common cancer in women below the age of 40 and also the most common cancer during pregnancy and breastfeeding. So, which is why I want all of the mamas listening to take a moment for themselves. You know, look at your breasts in the mirror, get to know them once a month in the shower and just make sure everything feels the way that it always feels. I always tell people, you know, my, my, my breast, people tell me my breasts feel lumpy. That's the way your breast feels. When it doesn't feel like that, you'll, you'll notice if you just pay attention to it, that like, yeah, your breasts are lumpy. That's normal. If there's something that's growing bigger, harder, firmer, you notice some skin changes, rashes. These are the things that we need to pay attention to and bring to the attention of your doctor because they might be the earliest signs of breast cancer, especially if you're below the breast cancer screening age. Which brings me into my biggest question because I did pull some of my uh, some of my followers, and the most common question asked was, "What what at what age do we start?" Okay, that is the best question and the most controversial question. Like, right? Yes. It's a million dollar question. Um, I'm going to make this blanket statement: forty. Every annual mammography, annual every year. So, starting annual mammography every year at age 40 and average risk women saves the most yes. lives. There's a few key points. Average risk is important. Um, and also, annual is important. We know that early detection, like early detection, saves lives. The better, the earlier we could find your breast cancer, 
the, you know, the, the more options we have for treatment, the less aggressive treatments we might have, the better, you know, lower mortality, better survival rates, better, less morbidity and everything, just a better quality of life after breast cancer. And that's something we really have to think about because we know if we catch breast cancer early, there's over a 95% survival rate. So that's the goal of any breast cancer screening. Okay. So, uh, you know, mammography and ultrasound and MRI, and we're going to talk about where those come in because, Average risk. Okay, so if you're high risk, then you need to start breast cancer screening earlier. And that's as early as age 25 for MRI and as early as age 30 for mammogram. And and this is really an important point to talk about risk factors. Okay. So the sad truth is that most people who are diagnosed with breast cancer are average risk. They have no known family history, no known genetic mutations. So everybody is at risk for breast cancer, men included. I always say Beyonce's dad had breast cancer. We don't think about this as something that affects everybody, but it does, and it affects young women too. So, so most people have no known family history or genetic mutation, but there is a push for people to understand their breast cancer risk. Okay, so I really think this is an important recommendation from the American College of Radiology, is that all women should have a conversation with their provider about breast cancer risk factors no later than age 30, ideally starting around age 25, so that we can identify women that are high risk and would benefit from this earlier uh, screening and supplemental screening with ultrasound and MRI, right? So something, so you could actually, if your providers never had a breast cancer risk assessment with you, don't come after them. Just, this is, this is a conversation we need to start having because this is a newer thing. So, but you could also do it yourself. Okay. So if you, if your listeners Google something called the Tyra Kuzik calculator. Yep. Yes. We, yeah. we rely very heavily and every, every breast imaging place should. Right. So it's not customary. It's, it's not standardized, but a lot of plate, a lot of breast imaging places will run your, in your mammogram or ultrasound report, it will tell your, your lifetime risk of breast cancer. So over 20% is considered high risk. And these are the people we're talking about needing earlier and supplemental screening as early, you know, starting before 40. I'm somewhere intermediate. I'm in this 15% range, right? The average risk is like 12 to 13, one in eight, one in, and it's probably getting lower. It's probably getting higher, to be honest. But so I'm in this intermediate risk, but I didn't start early. So I started my mammograms in 41. I, I started last year at 40. But I do have dense breast tissue, which we'll talk about <laughs> in detail. Yeah, right. So we'll, let's table that because, you know, I just think that we need to understand our breast cancer risk factors. And it's a conversation we need to have with our providers about, you know, and if it's something you're, you're a motivated patient, let's talk about some of the common risk factors. A first degree relative uh, diagnosed with breast cancer, a good rule of thumb is if you have first degree relative diagnosed with breast cancer, you're going to want to start 10 years before their age of diagnosis, but not before age 40. So that would be like and a mom, a mom or a sister or a daughter. Yeah. Cause okay. I get I, I, with patients, they're always like, Oh, my aunt. I'm like, but that's, that's not a first degree relative. Important. Oh, it okay. is important. Okay. You know, all these it things, is. when you start to see patterns of like cancer and multiple relatives, not even breast cancer, you know, things like that. So Family history of breast cancer is important. Obviously, genetic mutation is important, even though most people don't have one. But I do kind of encourage 
everybody, if you're a motivated person to consider getting genetic testing, we do it when we, you know, I'm Ashkenazi Jewish. We're always told to do it when we are considering having children, but we're not Mm -hmm. testing for cancer screening tests in that, uh, in cancer screening mutations in that test. So there, you know, cancer screening mutation, cancer screening has for genetic mutations has gotten so much cheaper, so much more widely accessible on my page. I always offer kind of free or discounted genetic screenings. There are great genetic uh, testing sites out there. It's, it's wild that they don't do it more because I know we got genetic screening before we tried conceiving right. uh, with my with kids just because it was something that I just brought up with right. uh, Kevin. I don't know why. Oh, I had a client of mine. I worked as a personal trainer and I had a client of mine who found out that her and her husband, after they got pregnant with their first, were both carriers of cystic fibrosis. Right. Yep. So they didn't know that ahead of time. And thankfully their child was born without, but then they tested for the second before they got pregnant for the second time, just to, you know, figure it out. Right. Yeah. I think. And, uh, she just told me and I was like, okay, Kev, we're going to get genetic testing, but it cost us a crap ton of money. Yeah. It could be thousands. <sighs> okay. So it's these, cheaper now. Like, oh, yeah. so much cheaper. So I even have, I, I always, there's great organizations out like called, um, get J screened, uh, Sharsharit, uh, so many amazing organizations that I could totally link, but they, they, the max you'll pay right now is $150 out of pocket for cancer or genetics, uh, you know, reproductive genetic screening. So the one you had was the reproductive genetic screening, but then there's this cancer panel. It tests for over 60 cancer causing mutations. And if you have one of these mutations, you know, knowledge is power. We, we know there are things that we can do to lower your breast cancer risk or catch it early by starting, you know, imaging, like we said, as early as age 25, 30. So these are things that we need to be aware of. And, you know, we know that Ashkenazi Jewish people are 10 times more likely to carry a BRCA mutation than the general public. But, you know, minorities like Black women, Hispanic women, they're more likely to carry genetic mutations as well, but they're less likely to be offered genetic counseling. 100%. So it's, you know, it's really, we need to make this more widespread. It should be accessible to anyone who's interested because once we know you're a high risk, then it's a different game change. We're not talking about 40 mammograms at 40. We're talking about, like we said, um, MRIs as early as 25, mammograms as early as 30, kind of alter, like staggering them both once you start and just being really proactive and having these conversations. Do you want a prophylactic mastectomy? Do you want to take these drugs that can help lower your risk of developing these cancers? things like that. Yeah. Well, and I know, um, on your Instagram, you had a video that I, uh, I think you have it pinned yeah. in part two and you, at the end, you talked about just the LGBTQ community yes. and correct <laughs> me, a trans, was it trans women or trans? So there are men? populations of men and transgender people that we need to be screening. So high risk men, we might start as early as age 50 or 10 years before, uh, earliest first degree relative. These are for high risk men. So somebody that we know has a, you know, genetic mutation or a strong family history. Also male to female transgender individuals who have gone, undergone hormonal therapy for at least five years, you're going to want to start screening yeah. them as well. So, you know, usually 50, but I, it, it's really not set in stone because it's something that we're, you know, we're learning as we go. Um, you know, breast cancer screening recommendations are really a hot topic right now. And I'm just going to use this as a quick plug and it's very timely. So recently, like societies like the American College of Radiology and lots of other medical societies have always said 40 every year in average risk women. Yeah. That saves the most lives. Rece- like in the past few years, 
other societies have come out with kind of other very extreme recommendations as far as 50 every two years. And a lot of- I know in Europe, that's a big push. Like I know in Germany. Right. In other countries, it's, you know, breast cancer screening. You know, I understand uh, you really have to look at the population and what your healthcare system looks like. But in America, you know, so recently the U.S. Preventive Task Force, the U.S. PTF, they were the one that caused this whole problem of, uh, back in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were the ones who changed it to 50 every two years and stopping at age 74. But recently, they said, you know what, we, we, some new information has come out, and we now know that breast cancer is a big deal in women of their 40s. No, I mean, no shit. Yeah, no shit right. is right. We've been saying this the whole time. I say this as a 40-year-old woman and breast cancer expert. We've been saying this the whole time. So what they're saying want you to do 40 every two years and stopping at age 74. So it's kind, it's like a step backwards because for every two years is not enough. Give us the no most way. life-saving information, which we need annual mammograms for those who want it. And we can decide how often we're going to come. The reasons that they're actually saying every two years is because of the higher false positive callback rate and the anxiety that one might feel when they get called back or need an extra test or extra biopsy. But let us decide what to be anxious about. We don't do this for prostate cancer screening. Why would we do this for breast cancer screening? Exactly. And, and, and this is really important because these are actually draft recommendations. And the final recommendations, they're actually asking for the public's commentary on this topic so they're oh my gosh so they're asking the public to comment until june 6th about what we think about these new recommendations so i'm really encouraging everybody like i'm making a push this week all week we have less than one week to change these recommendations say this is not enough we need annual screening mammography we need to continue it past age 74 if we want it because we know that breast cancer gets more common as you get older there's other there's other important pieces of the you know why they don't go far enough i encourage people to follow me this week at the booby docs because i'm going to be talking all about this and i'm going to give you resources of where you can go to submit your commentary what you need to be saying we need annual mammography makes sense you don't need to. I'll come. share this to my stories. Yeah. I'll take a clip after we're done. This, and I'll take this clip and I'll share it. Yeah, this, this clip little section needs to be sent out to everybody. To any, yeah, yeah. If you it's have so breasts, important. If you have breasts or know someone who does, you need to listen to this right now. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a clip that for you. That drives me nuts. I, that's like I don't. Well, and I I feel like the problem with that is it just doesn't make it seem serious. So when for us, like. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't think about breast cancer on a daily basis, but I should you need to, kind of like, you need I should. To. Yeah. And I, the only reason that kind of opened my eyes and why I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I, um, Katie and I both had our third right around the same exact time. And, uh, there was another girl who I follow and I don't know, Katie, if you follow her spit up in sweatpants. Oh yeah. Yep. I follow her. Yep. I think mm-hmm. she has like 9,000 followers. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping if you're listening, you're doing well. She has breast cancer. Uh, and she is, I think she's younger than me. Oh yeah. Uh, so, and I'm only 33. So she, I think she's in her twenties, late twenties. Oh, she yeah. had her third baby. She thought ha- she had mastitis mm-hmm. because she had a big red swollen breast. And sure enough, it ended up being like, and I'm going to say it wrong. Inflammatory. with an I. Inflammatory inflammatory. breast cancer. (laughs) That is so common. You know, I actually just recorded a podcast. Are you guys Bachelor fans at all? Yeah. So Michael A. I haven't watched it a bit, but I am. I follow (laughs) him. So Michael A. was on on my podcast. It's coming out this week. 
his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 31. She had she was seven months postpartum for their first baby. Their baby wasn't latching appropriately on this breast. That's how she was diagnosed. She went to the doctor. They told her it's probably it's a clogged duct. It's nothing to worry about, which most likely it is. But you know, they kind of pushed for the imaging and ends up being breast cancer. This happens all the time. I don't want to scare anybody out of you know. Yeah. Anyone listening, I don't, this this conversation isn't meant to scare you. It's to inform and empower you and educate you that breast cancer is real. There is a young breast cancer epidemic going on. It's breast young breast cancer is increasing about two percent every year since twenty fifteen. Why? why do they know why? I mean, I, if that's a million dollar question, if we environmental estrogen, the chicken, you know, the you know yep. the waste plant, who knows? You could do everything right on paper. You could you know, eat a green diet, you could exercise and avoid alcohol, but you could still develop breast cancer. So that's why we just have to be vigilant and have these conversations because anyone listening, it's like, if we encourage one person to do their self breast exam and empower them to, you know, oh shoot, there's something there to bring that to their doctor, to push for the imaging, to push, you know, and just get it evaluated appropriately. We could save lives. And do it every time you're in the shower. Yeah. But being that you guys are moms, majority of you are probably moms listening. I know showers are sometimes hard to come by. <laughs> when you're I'm laying down. The, that was a big yeah. question yep. too. When, when do, how often should I do my self-breast exam? What should I feel for? These right. are questions I get all the time being a tech because I yeah. do have, you know, I'm with patients and it is important to do them. It, once right. a month, figure it out. Fig- right. Usually the best time to do it, I always say is a little bit after your period ends. That's right. So the best time okay. to really do it is seven to 10 days after your menstrual cycle. Wanna, but yep. any time that we could do it is good. I always on my social media, I promote feel it on the first. It's easy to remember. I love alliteration. There's love a great that. story behind it. And this really amazing breast cancer thriver who passed away, but she really, she, you know, if she was 20s, found her own breast cancer. And it's just a reminder to us to take you know, when was the last time I did, I did my self-breast exam? Whatever it is, just do it. You know, whenever you have a moment. And, what, and I know, do we raise an arm and just, I know underneath the armpit is a big thing because people forget to feel underneath the I know armpit. you guys aren't, you can't see, but. I'll put this up Dr. on YouTube. Roth, I will make, I'll make a, I'll make this a priority to put this up on oh YouTube. Oh my God, wait, give me one listening. moment. I have something I need to show you. <laughs> okay. So, I'm loving this wallpaper behind um, us. I'm like, which first, boobs are mine? <laughs> first, you're going to look at your breasts in your mirror. Okay. This is my little nerd bug, bug squishy, which I love. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good. I actually need to get a brown one that is so adorable. Yes. I, yeah, I it's more inclusive. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the breast health exam is simple. You're going to look at your breasts in the mirror. You're going to stare at them. Make sure you're, you know, looking under your breast. Like you said, under the armpit, your clavicle area, breast tissue goes all the way out there. You're looking for any changes in your nipple, any skin changes, rashes, dimpling that you never notice. Squeeze your nipples. Okay. Like, Yep. If stuff comes out, what we're looking for is really bloody nipple discharge is concerning. Our, our, especially if you've been breastfeeding, your breast might have lots of discharge. Bloody is a little concerning. That should be evaluated. But again, if you've stopped breastfeeding and you're having discharge that doesn't, you know, that was a, a change, you know, bring it to the attention of your doctor. We're looking for nipple inversion. Okay. So this is all just looking. We haven't touched yet. You know, so now that you're going to start touching and you're going to do it, you know, with your arm above your head, you're going to use a few fingers, you know, three, the pads of three fingers, circular motion going 
all around your breast, not excluding the armpit and the clavicles, really in a methodical, just making sure you're covering everything in a methodical way. Like I said, squeezing the nipple, looking for nipple discharge. Your partner can do this for you. Make it fun, you know, and, and do this. You could do this lying down and then you're really supposed to do it again in the shower. But again, any anything helps. The shower is really the best because that's where your breasts are slippery. That's a lot of people accidentally find their own breast lumps in the shower. You know, they're washing under their armpits and they find a lump. And that's why if we could just do this in a methodical way, once a month, we're just in better shape. You know, once it's... And now with a lump... What I mean, are we going to be able to tell the difference between if you have like because I have generally question. like lumpy, <laughs> I have like lumpy breasts, I have lumpy boobies in general for what's left of them, right? Anyhow, um, so, so but for me, so does it feel hard? So things that you're gonna, so let's say you notice something, you're gonna pay attention to it over the next few days. You know, think your breast, your breast should normal feel lumpy, mobile, kind of you know, and not a discrete mass. If it is, if you feel a discrete mass, it still could be a cyst, uh, you know, fibroadenoma. There's lots of things that the breast makes, but things that would be concerning is if it's hard, non-mobile, um, growing in size, especially under the armpit. You know, we've got lymph nodes living there, um, and so if you notice something, pay attention over to it over the next few days. Ask your partner to feel this. Have you ever noticed this on me? You know, see what it does in the next two or three days. But in the meantime, you're going to call your doctor and just make an appointment. It's a good reminder. When was the last time I had, when was the last time I had my breast exam for my doctor? When was the last time I had my mammogram? You know, these are all the things we get so busy, you know, life is so hectic and chaotic. We forget to do these things. So it's a reminder to like, you know, make that phone call, you know, sooner than, than later. And then, like I said, oh, while, while you're waiting, you're going to feel it. And if it's getting bigger and harder, you're going to really push again. Okay. And you know, call that doctor's office and say, you need to be scheduled. You need to be seen sooner than later. This is something urgent. It's a change. You're concerned about it. If they're not returning your calls, call another doctor, you know, reach out to somebody that you think might be able to help you. This is where you have to be your own breast advocate, right? Especially if you're now worried about it. It's been there, you know, a few months and I've been, I I didn't want to see it, but now I see it and I can't unsee it. And now I'm freaking out. So you just got to make those phone calls. Ultimately, you need a good physical exam by your doctor. Let's say they tell you it's just a clogged duct, okay? And you say, how do you know? How, how are you sure? And they say, I see this all the time. Why don't you come back to me in a week? That's fair, okay? You know, if they're giving you a follow-up appointment, but you really need kind of an action plan. I want to be seen in a week or I need imaging now. Like I'd feel more, I'd really feel more comfortable if we got this evaluated under imaging. We have to get comfortable having these conversations. Again, you know, most likely it's just a clogged duct or it's just a cyst or something, but it can be breast cancer. And that's like, these are the people we're trying to really pick out of a a large population of young women who probably don't have breast cancer to find the one that does. So this message needs to get to her. So it's like really, you know, and then, so if you, then you could say, I really would feel more comfortable if we got this evaluated on imaging. And then you have to make the appointment on imaging. And that could take a long time. So again, if it's something you're worried about, say three months is too long. You know, really feeling comfortable asking to speak to a radiologist, asking to speak to maybe is there a doctor I could speak to because I'm concerned about this. This is a change. So 
when we have a change in our breasts, we want to make sure we're doing something called a, di- a diagnostic examination, which means that it's different from a screening examination. A screening mammograms means you have no symptoms. You're just getting, you get your mammogram, maybe your ultrasound if you have dense breast tissue, and you leave, and you're going to get the results in the mail. Okay, a diagnostic examination is something different. It either means that you have an area you're con- you or your doctor are concerned about, or we saw something that we're concerned about, or we're just following up something that you know we just keeping a close eye on. And that means that you're going to get your imaging. So under age thirty, we start with an ultrasound. Over age thirty, we start with a mammogram and then an ultrasound, especially if you're feeling something. We always want to evaluate that with an ultrasound. A mammogram is not enough, especially not a you know screening mammogram. Um, so you know if you feel something, they they usually mark it on the mammogram with a, with some kind of marker that lets us know that the patient is feeling this area. So we pay it special attention. We might get extra images, and then we will send you to ultrasound. And at the end of that, you're going to meet with a radiologist, a doctor, me. Okay, you're gonna be the breast radiologist. In the meantime, you're, you, Katie's gonna be doing your ultrasound, and yeah, and, and you're gonna have so much fun with me. You're gonna have a great time. She's gonna take such good <laughs> care of you, and then uh, you're gonna, you know, she might take some pictures, but don't freak out. She's just doing her job. She can't tell you the results yet. My legally. gel is warm. Yeah, her gel is her lube is warm, and yep. then the radiologist will walk in and talk about everything with you, what we see, how worried we are if we're not at all. You know, we might say. It's just a cyst. You need to come back in in a year or, you know, come back when you're 40. Um, it might be something probably benign. And what we're saying when it's probably benign, we give you a Virads 3. That means yep. that it's a less than 2% chance of cancer. It's not zero, but it's, it's you know, we're, it's probably benign. We're going to follow it every six months for two years and prove that it's stable. And then we're going to bless it. And then the third option is you might need a biopsy. <clears throat> and even if you need a biopsy, Again, it's probably too early to start completely freaking out and thinking you have breast cancer because 80% of the biopsies we do are benign. Yes. Okay. That's, we love that number too. We love that. That's a great number. And that, that really stands for something called, that is only for BIRADS4. Katie, you know what I mean. So there's a BIRADS scale guys. If you want to look it up, it's, it's zero to five. Yeah. Four. Wait, five. No, there's actually zero to six. So six. It is. Okay. I was like, wait. Mm-hmm. Is the when you get your mammogram at the end of the radiologist report, they're going to give something called a BIRADS. That stands for Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System. It's a category. It tells us where what the assessment is. A zero means it's incomplete. We see something we need to work up. It doesn't mean anything other than we just might need extra views. It's more likely if it's your first mammogram that you would get something called a BIRADS zero. But it could be very suspicious. We don't know yet. Okay, it's too early to tell. Virids one and two are negative, meaning it's not cancer; it's normal. We're calling that. Um, we don't say anything looks suspicious. Virids three we talked about is probably benign, less than two percent chance of cancer. We usually yeah. follow it every six months for two years until we prove it's stable. At any point, if it changes, we'll biopsy this. I always give patients the option. I say if you're uncomfortable with that, we could always biopsy it now and just yeah. make sure. You know, it's definitive. Sometimes waiting is really hard as well. Um, so I do give, I, I think that's an important conversation to have as well, because, you know, we'll, we could talk about that. But, you know, sometimes someone, you know, 2% of them are going to be cancer, less than 2%, but that is a real risk. Um, but it's a small risk. Um, Bireds 4 is suspicious. That means it's anywhere between 2 and 95% chance of it being cancer. It's a very wide range. So that's where the, the number of, you know, 80% of those biopsies are going to be benign. If you get something called a BIRADS-5, it means it's highly suspicious. The radiologist is saying, 
I really think I, I'm, I'm almost confident this is breast cancer. We're going to start, we're going to expedite this biopsy. We're going to start getting mm-hmm. some people in place. You know, we're going to, things are going to move fast. So if you get a BIRADS 5, they're essentially telling you, I'm really concerned. Like if somebody asked me, I'm like, I'm almost confident it's cancer. If I do a biopsy and it comes back benign, I, I don't buy it. I'm going to say we want to take it out. Surgery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A BIRADS 6 is the last one. It means we know you have cancer. We're either following it or something like that. So that's the BIRADS. And my, my question. So like for the girl that I mentioned that yeah. has mm-hmm. uh, inflammatory breast cancer. Yeah. I know that's a stage, is that a stage three? It is. Cancer? It means it's like a locally invasive cancer. It means it's yeah. involving the skin, which is why it looks like a rash. Um, yeah. It looks like, it looks like mastitis and it can be really confusing, yeah. especially if she's young, especially been breastfeeding, but yeah. it doesn't go away with antibiotics. And, you know, usually we give it like a one week trial of antibiotics, not getting better. Then we're like, things are yeah. moving quick. Well, and, and for me, as someone like who hears these stories of women that get diagnosed with stage three, stage four breast cancer, yeah. were there signs beforehand that they probably missed? Or is it just possible for something to envelop that quickly? Especially with younger it, it, women. It, so young women are more likely to get aggressive breast cancer. Yeah. Meaning these, it's unfortunate. Uh, these, it's really unfortunate. They can pop up overnight. It, people will tell me it was not there. I know yep. it wasn't there. I've seen it on mammogram pop up, you know, when yep. they had a mammogram six months ago, now they feel something and it's huge. And you're like, it was not there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's wild. So I just had a case like that last week. And so, yeah. And, but, but it also mammography is not perfect. We know that. And besides the fact, we're not imaging under the screening age. So again, how are we going to find it? Unless we're doing a really good self-breast exam. That's why we just have to be vigilant. Also going to a, a, to one, seeing board certified breast radiologist, you know, you just, if you, it, and I tell this to my patients all the time, or my, even my friends, my family members, if you are going to be proactive about your breast health, find a place that is dedicated to breast because you don't want to go to a run of, run of the mill radiology site that you could have a radiologist looking at a CT of a brain and an MRI of the spine. And then they're looking at your mammogram. You want to be breast specific. You need yeah. doctors like yourself, Dr. Roth, who yes. are very knowledgeable in breast health. And yes. I've seen, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well. I've seen so many patients fall through the cracks because they're going to places that aren't breast dedicated radiology sites. You need to find a place that does 3D mammography. And if you have dense breast issue, couple it with a, an ultrasound and an MRI. I mean, MRI is another, you know. Yeah. Yes so, to all so of it. Okay. So yeah. you bring up so many great points. As a breast radiologist, you know, I, I, I did my, I did a fellowship in breast trade at breast imaging at Penn, you know, like I have the qualification. I've been doing this every year for nine years. By law, we have to read X amount of mammograms every year and to keep up that certification. It's not the same everywhere. Okay. Like, like Katie said, there's wide ranges of training of radiologists. You know, if you're more in like rural America and, and you go to a general radiologist who reads a brain MRI, reads a mammogram, they may not have done a fellowship in breast, but they're kind of like cornered, you know, cornered into yes. it because no one else wants to do it. Because exactly, is, you know, so it does matter who is reading your 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 imaging, especially your breast imaging, right? Like a lot of times, radiologists people don't think twice about who they're radiologists, but they really should because you know, especially with breast imaging, like you said, it's such a nuanced thing. You want to make sure that you your radiologist is well versed on the importance of breast density, you know, the the appropriate way to work up a focal asymmetry, things like this. Where I mean, it's so 
it's always good to, you know, like Katie said, make sure it's an ACR accredited breast imaging site. I'd say most people, if you're in a big city, you know, if you're going to a big hospital, they're going to be breast um, specialist, you know, breast fellowship trained. Not to say that you can't be an amazing radiologist without doing a fellowship, because I know you can, you know, so you, it's just someone who's been doing this dedicated for a long time, right? And feels comfortable with all of the current recommendations and things like that. So it is something that, you know, maybe do a quick Google search, Google search of where you're going to go get your diagnostic mammogram. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, for anyone, and my my two cents of not being someone in this field is find a provider that doesn't make you feel stupid. Yes. I say that constantly. Yes. Yeah. So if you go in and they're like, no, it's it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Just don't stress. If you feel like something is wrong, say something. Or better yet, if something turns out not to be something wrong, you're not wrong. You're not wrong for for even just calling it out. If it turns out to be nothing. You're not wrong. You're not stupid for being worried about it. You're not any of those things. You're just someone that's learning. And I always say that, especially for it's just it's one of my things with like moms and new moms is you're given a gut for a reason. A lot of the times it's not automatic. It takes time and practice to learn your gut. Yeah. Sometimes you're gonna get it wrong and that's okay. <laughs> so go to a provider that's going to honor your gut. A hundred percent. You know your body breast. You you need to be your own breast advocate. You know, I say breast, but it's your whole body. Um but like if somebody, if, if you feel like your provider is brushing you off or dismissing your symptoms without appropriately evaluating them, that's called medical gaslighting, right? We know this is increasing. It's not even intentional sometimes by the breast, you know, the provider. I don't want to point all the fingers at the doctors, you know, because most likely it's nothing, but it could be something. And, you know, so it's always okay to say, I feel more comfortable. If you still feel like, you know, I'd really feel more comfortable getting this evaluated. If you still feel like they're dismissing your symptoms or you just feel like they didn't do a, you know, really point out the area, make sure they feel it and giving it the appropriate attention. If they're not giving that to you, find another provider. It's okay to get a second and third opinion, especially if you're dealing with something like breast cancer and you need a team that you feel confident had your best interest at heart. Okay. So, you know, you need to just be aware of your body, aware if something doesn't feel right. And if you don't have an answer that appropriately, you know, explains the finding, ask someone else, ask again, ask for something else that we could do to prove it. It's hard, but I think we really just need to learn how to advocate for ourselves because, you know, we hear this story too often. It is too, it's happening too often. It happens to celebrities, Maria Menounos, uh, Leanne Hainsby, Clear Shearer. They were all diagnosed with breast cancer and it took them too long. They were told it's nothing. They were told it's, you yeah. know, and, and they push for it. And so if it's happening to them, it can happen to us. And if yeah. you know what's I mean, happening. Age discrimination, so, medical yeah. age discrimination is a thing. They think, oh, yeah. you know, you know, the likelihood of young, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a percentage of younger women under 40, like you said, that develop breast cancer and sometimes medical providers. What was the, what, what was the over 12,000 women a year yeah. diagnosed with breast cancer I mean, under the age of 40. That's 12,000 oh, yeah. too many in my book. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think, um, I think it's a generational shift too. I think we're just coming out of, there's a generational shift out of so much, but we're coming out of a generation where, doctors are, and they are, I mean, you doctors go to school to do all these things, but we see them on such a high superior level of, of 
it what they say goes yeah. and they forget that it's, they're still human. They're like still we're still human. human at the end of the day. They're just someone that's studying a little bit extra, but sometimes they could get it wrong. Right. Doctors are people <laughs> so, too. It, you know, medicine yeah. is an imperfect science. Like we're learning all the time. So, and, and it's, you know, and doctors make mistakes. I hate to say that, you know, it happens to everybody. It's not, we learn from those mistakes, but like, you know, most likely it's not breast cancer, but to say you're too young for breast cancer or it's nothing, it's just a clogged up without, you know, appropriately evaluating it. They're going to, that, those words will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Like they feel crappy when that happens too. They don't want it to be breast cancer. Yeah. They care about you inherently, but you know, it's, the, the, the sad truth is that like, like we said, breast cancer is, we have a problem right now and there's a young breast cancer epidemic, unless we're being vigilant for ourselves and listening to our patients and having these conversations about who needs extra screening, who needs, you know, the importance of the self breast exam. Like we just need to all be on the same page. And by the way, the, like breast cancer in general is the only thing where politics seeps its ugly head. Okay. Even the American Cancer Society says there is no role for the self-breast exam. They don't recommend it, but they say self-breast awareness is key. They point to the false positive, the likelihood that it's not breast cancer and the anxiety. But again, why are societies placing their values on us? We Women should be deciding if, yep. you know, like we, you're saying we need to be breast self-aware. If you're not doing it in a methodical, methodical and educational way, and how are we going to find this, right? So yeah. who's making up those it's rules? It's men, men, like men. Yeah, I, I hate to say <laughs> like it's that. always men. Uh-huh. Fuck those men. <laughs> I say our breasts, our choice. Give us the information. Like it's oh, like shit. you can't it's handle our the bodies. Truth, you know, right? It's well, and I'm sorry. I'm I yeah. get that there might be anxiety, but. First of all, that kind of makes me annoyed because that makes me feel like as a woman, I'm hyper emotional, which I, I kind of am. I cried over a fish this morning. But, but yeah, but there, it's just, it makes me annoyed that there's like this association with us that we can't handle anxiety. There was, like we can't handle There was it. this really great um, column back in the Washington Post, like almost a decade ago, and it still rings true. We're still having these conversations, but it said, don't you worry your pretty little head about breast cancer. We don't place these recommendations, these feelings and societal values on, on men's cancer screening recommendations. Why do we do it on women's? Yeah, I know. I wanted to toggle back to young, young women and young breast tissue, because I got, I got a lot of questions about, how do I know I have dense breast tissue? If I don't have dense breast tissue, do I need the ultrasound? Because what's going on is most insurances will, will cover an annual mammogram, but then they get called back. And and by the way, if you, if you get a baseline mammogram, meaning baseline your first ever, and you get called back for dense breast tissue, that's very common. I'm sure yeah. there's a, you know, I'm sure there's a certain amount of women that get called back, but I get the question a lot. Like what is dense breast tissue? Does it increase my risk of getting, developing a breast cancer? And why do I have dense breast tissue? Cause a lot of people think it's something they're doing, but it's not. Am I correct? I, what fabulous questions. All right. Thank you for setting me up so perfectly. Okay. So let's talk about all these things. So dense breast tissue is normal. Okay. About 50% of women have dense breast tissue. It's more common in younger women. Your breasts are supposedly supposed to get fattier as we get older, but that's not always the case. A lot of it's genetic. I've seen, you know, 90 year old women with dense breast tissue. So it doesn't always happen. Our breasts 
change in density as we go through changes in our life cycle. When you're pregnant, your breasts become more dense. When you are breastfeeding, your breasts become more dense. And again, and then after you stop, your breasts might get fattier. So breast density is something that can change over your lifetime. It's a lot of hormone, it's a lot of it is hormonal, right? So once you hit menopause, typically your breasts get fattier, but that we know that is not always the case. The only way <laughs> the only way to actually know your breast density is by getting a mammogram. Mammogram. Right? Yep. So by inherently, like we don't know our dense breast density until we get that first mammogram. And dense breast tissue, not only does it make breast cancers harder to see, but it's also an independent risk factor for, for breast cancer. So having dense breast tissue increases your risk for breast cancer. So I call it a double-edged sword. We increases your risk of breast cancer. It also makes breast cancers harder to see using mammography alone. Breast cancers appear white on mammography and dense breast tissue appears white on mammography. So think of it like finding a snowflake in a snowstorm or a blizzard. The more snow you have, the more dense tissue you have, the harder it is to see breast cancers using mammography alone. 3D mammography has made it a little bit better, but it's still not perfect, okay? So if you have dense breast tissue, if you're one of those 50% of people that have dense breast tissue, the good news is that there are things that we could do. There is extra imaging that we could do to help find breast cancers earlier, like adding supplemental ultrasound um, or MRI based on your risk factors. So usually um, over 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer will add an MRI every year to your annual mammogram. And under that, um, we'll usually add an ultrasound. Um, and, you know, you could argue if you do it at the same time at the different every six months, there's definitely different schools of thought. But by adding the supplemental imaging, it allows us to find smaller, more treatable cancers at an earlier stage, okay? So potentially avoiding aggressive lymph node dissection, which can cause lymphedema down the road, potentially avoiding chemotherapy, potentially avoiding like having to take your breast off because of medical reasons, you know, and just doing a lumpectomy. So these are all things that are important. And it also increases our survival from breast cancer. So, you know, we know that supplemental imaging helps us find these more treatable cancers. In the new breast cancer recommendations, they talk about dense breast tissue, but they say there isn't enough research. It's to be decided whether that supplemental imaging will help. You, no, we have the research. It's been yes. done. That's, this is, again, where they don't go far enough. They, yeah. I'm going to make a, yeah, a whole plea about what is wrong with them. But that's one reason that, you know, that we know that supplemental imaging can help us find the earlier cancers. There's a downside that's important for people listening to understand. And this goes with any imaging test. The more we look, the more we find. Yep. Okay. And it's not always going to be breast cancer. That's the name of the game. That's the, that's, that's the cost of early detection. We might find something that is not breast cancer, but it is a mass that warrants a biopsy. We can't tell if it's serious by looking at it. So then we have to do something called a biopsy, right? But again, most people will have an image-guided biopsy, which is minimally invasive. You know, you know that you probably do this all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we give numbing medicine. We take some tissue through the skin. We send it out to the lab. And three days later, we get a result. And we know if it's, what is, if it's benign or something or if it's cancer. And we move on with our lives. And then we get the treatment that we need. You know, so there is slightly, we, with, you know, supplemental imaging, there is a possibility that we might, might find things that are not 
cancer, but warrant a workup or biopsy, but that's, that's the cost of early detection. But most people understanding the risk benefits, it's really a conversation that they need to have with their doctor if it's right for them. Like if you're an anxious person, don't do well with, you know, Waiting. all the, yeah. yeah, then, you know, but like ignorance is not bliss. Like, you know, so it's really a conversation that people really need to have and, and see what they value, whether they want that early detection. Um, now, does breast t- does dense breast tissue feel a certain way? Does it, uh, is it hard? So it usually can feel lumpy, but not always, and that's why it's like really it's really hard to tell. Like I said, the only way to actually know your breast density is by reading your mammogram report. So, in addition to the BIRADS category, your mammogram report will also include something very important, which is it will say your breast density category, your breast composition, and the radiologist assigns your breasts one of four density categories. So, a so one is scattered, two is uh, no, it's a, a, B, C, and D. One is uh, scattered, sorry, one is fatty when it's almost entirely fat. Two is scattered. They're not dense, okay? Fatty and scattered are not dense. The ones we worry about that consider are considered to have dense breast tissue are the heterogeneously and extremely dense breast parenchyma categories. Those are the people that have dense breast tissue and might benefit from, from supplemental imaging, such as ultrasound or MRI. Now, I get this so, question a lot, and I, yeah. you know, and I think it'd be really uh, helpful for listeners. Yeah, I get people say, "Well, Katie." I have such dense breast tissue and I need the ultrasound. Why do I yeah. need the mammogram still? And I know I know what you're going to say, but I'd like you to explain it to everyone because it's so important that it, you still need supplemental mammogram as well. Yes. So that's an important point and I'm so glad you brought that up. Mammogram is the gold standard right now. Okay. It, I think that there are things that are becoming down the road, like breast CT, like I love contrast mammography. There are things, and AI, artificial intelligence is really going to change the game. But right now, mammogram is the best thing we have. So nothing can replace mammography, not ultrasound, not MRI. They all add to the utility of mammogram. They all add to the sensitivity, our, our, our ability to find small cancers. Okay, so small cancers being like DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. Yes. So mammograms pick up some of the earliest forms of breast cancer. Like you said, they, they mammograms are the only thing that can pick up calcifications and even some small areas of architectural distortion, which can be the earliest form of cancer, which is DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. People talk about overdiagnosis, but I want to tell you, DCIS is where we would like to find cancer. Yes, it's a cel- we celebrate that in the breast world. I know it hasn't left the duct yet. Yes. You know, whether or not we're overtreating that, that's a different conversation, but we want to know DCIS. We want to find the cancer because DCIS ultimately if left untreated, we know that most of them will go on to become invasive cancers and spread. So we're really looking, you know, mammogram is looking for these early small calcifications that might be a subtle change. And we would never see that. uh, We might not see that on an ultrasound or MRI. So that's why nothing can replace annual screen mammography. Ultrasound and MRI are always something that you would add in addition to your annual mammogram. Exactly. Great question. (laughs) Oh, and also I had a really funny question. Uh Uh, I have nip, not me. This is a a, a follower. (laughs) I have nipple rings. Will that affect my mammogram? And also another question, I have implants. Can I still get a mammogram? Is it limited? Such a great question. So nipple rings, you can wear them in the mammogram. We see them all the time. We see them all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. We're all like, well, that one's got the nipple rings. Okay. She's fine. I did that once on a dare. I, I got truth or dared in high school. And I was like the mom of the group where I was like the prude. 
And I was like, fine, fuck you guys. And so I got in my car and I got my nipple pierced. I had my nipple pierced like, too, Mary. Oh my God. Awful. Yeah. But you, did you have it? I had it for like six hours and I, I drove a Jeep Wrangler at the time and I rode home <laughs> like this because it kept hitting like the bumps. And I was like, ow, ow, ow. I ow. took mine out after like two months. Change your mind. Six hours. <laughs> I didn't want it. I didn't want to like keep it. So it was like, I just wanted to show that I would do yeah. it. I mean, it's really bad for your, your, your nipple, for your milk ducts. It's just terrible. Right. <laughs> it can cause scarring and, yeah. and and you would need to take it out during an MRI because that can cause artifacts. Yes. You don't want to be stuck to the and, MRI machine. Right. Okay. Right. That's right. <laughs> Got another one. Right. Well, uh, so, so implants. Okay. So breast implants are, are a great conversation. You can get a mammogram during an ultrasound and MRI with them. We, you know, we sometimes order an MRI to see if they're even ruptured uh, for silicone implants specifically. For, so for a mammogram, you could still get, get them with an implant. We do these things called implant displaced views in addition to your regular mammogram views um, that we kind of like take. Oh, it's God, really it's, kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> you push the nipple back, take the, you know, push the implant back, take the front breast tissue um, and squeeze that and get a mammogram of that, it, you know, so, and it also can obscure, um, breast cancers a little bit, you know, it, but it does actually push the breast tissue. If it's behind the muscle, often it pushes the breast tissue forward. So you kind of, it's more clumped and squished together, but you know, most people I'd say are dense and we might want to consider adding supplemental imaging. You know, we're, we're seeing lots of bad press about the implants lately. I know implant illness. I mean, I live in South Florida. It's like, you know, breast implant heaven down here, myself included. Do you know know I'm from South Florida? You are where? I'm from Coral Springs. Oh my God, I'm in Boca. I I went to University of Florida. My husband and I both grew up in South Florida. You're a gator. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. my, My parents still live there. Amazing. Well, if you're in town, I mean, oh my god, let's get some drinks. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I know. Come on, Mary, let's go. I know. Um, Yeah, people have implants. I think we're starting. I've seen more of a movement to people to avoid them or get them out. Yeah, implanting a big thing. There's small, you know, increased risk of. uh, We saw squamous cell carcinoma, lymphoma. There's like all these. I personally, I have three children. I breastfed them all. I've got, you know, saggy breasts. I want to do some kind of augmentation, but I don't want to do a an implant. Uh, implant. Yeah, so I'm 100%. actually having these conversations. I want to look into uh, that transfer. That's what yeah. I want to, I'm like interested in yeah. that. Like, Honestly, that me too, I, because I, I, I'm very self-conscious about my boobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard when you, I mean, listen, as women, we're giving our bodies to our children, right? And yeah. it's when you, like, I didn't breastfed breastfeed at length with my children, but I also have implants. It made it a little harder, but like someone like you, Robin, who has breastfed mm-hmm. three children, Mary has breastfed three children. The, the you, you lose the elasticity in your breasts oh and it's, God. it's an easy, I mean, it's, it's easy to look at yourself and be like, what the hell happened? So it's a I constant reminder of what, all the time. Yeah. What do you have? Silicone? Yeah. I have a silicone implant. It's behind the muscle. I did it 11 years ago have? for more of a, mm-hmm. I had one breast bigger than the other. So for me, it was like mm-hmm. really a, an aesthetic thing and to make build yeah. my own confidence. And I do love them. But I mean, being in the breast field, I, like I said, I've been doing ultrasound 17 years. When I got the implants, every single radiologist I worked with was like, what are you doing? And all of my, yeah. you know, coworkers were like, what the hell are you doing? You, you know what we see, but it was more of a self-confidence thing for me. Now, 11 years later, I really could care less. And I kind of want them out, but I'm like, what would I look like without them? Large voluptuous breasts. Like I feel like they probably have like stuff to work with. Like, yeah, you know. Yep. 
Well, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I was like never big into like having as a kid, like when my friends got, my friends hit puberty before I mm-hmm. ever did. So it was always like a very, you got very jealous because my friends had boobs. And I remember just being a little girl being like, okay, one day my time is coming. And then I never got them. And I was like, this is such shit. So I, I mean, I had like a B, which is standard, but I had like a B, but I wanted like freaking D cup. And finally, when I had babies, I was double yeah. B. And I, they're not that nuts. fun when they're now that I'm, I'm telling you. No, yeah. well, I mean the men. Yeah, I I didn't really care for them at that point, but now they're gone. I wear an A cup and I'm still empty. And my husband now notices that it's like I am self conscious about it because it's like it really you really notice it, and it's like uh it's one of those things where like people tell you, and I made a joke about it on my Instagram saying how I have a talent that I could make it sound like I'm running with flip flops on while standing. <laughs> Hilarious! <laughs> I laughed. I cried laughing That's really funny. at that. Really, funny. you should. Oh well, here you guys. We should like enjoy this. That. talking. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'm so debating on sharing this. I'm so stupid, but I made this video. Oh, oh my God. Hold on. Let's see. <laughs> so good. So you got to post that. I feel like as I know. To, this should be like the intro to our. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, uh, I said that and I was like, you, I, someone got mad at me for sharing it saying like you're you're adding to like this this idea of like what your boobs need to look like after babies and I'm like I'm not but I said I also it, it's real but I was like it's also the the complete opposite where you don't get represented enough where you think that you're the only one who had your boobs sucked dry right. where you're like what is wrong with my body and you're not hearing anyone else talk about it and I think it bet into this whole conversation is like I think Breast cancer, and I tell me if I'm wrong. I think breast cancer doesn't get as enough. We it's probably getting missed because people are very ashamed. Well, people don't want to touch their, their breasts. They don't want to look at them. Uh-huh. We see it all the time. Even my my social media channel, there are still people that get offended that I use the word booby, and I'm like, I'm using it to open a conversation, a much bigger conversation, which is the fact that. You know, we don't talk about breast health enough. We need to talk about it because like we said, there's young breast cancer epidemic out there. We've got, you know, all these conflicting and confusing recommendations. And like we said, you know, I think we've been raised as women to be ashamed of our breasts. And like, we have a very complex relationship with our breasts. You know, when, when we're young, they're too small. When they're old, they're too big. When they're, you know, and once we get like, finally get comfortable with them, we get breast cancer. And then it's like, what was I doing the whole time? Now I have no breasts. And it's like, you know, so just learning to appreciate whatever stage you're in, right? Like, our breasts are like a gift. Like, you know, I'm still coming around to this, but like I'm reminded every day that our breasts are a gift. Like what we choose to do with them or what happens to them. Like it's all part of our story that, you know, it's such an important part of our identity. And like, that's why when we get breast cancer, then it's such a, it's, it's a, such a knock to your identity. You lose your breast, you lose what you have been, what you connect to your womanhood, but it doesn't need to be that way. Like we're the same woman without breasts, you know, and I just love, I mean, I, after starting my Instagram, I got so connected to the breast cancer community that I didn't even know, like, I've learned so much about just what we need as women, what the breast cancer community needs, which is just advocacy, awareness, like just these conversations that we're well, having Well, and it's probably, it's probably nice on your end. So I had another guest on, um, her name's Jen Hamilton. Mm-hmm. She's big on TikTok. Uh-huh. She's a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse. Uh-huh. I had her on, she's. 
she's wonderful, but she was on and um, she was saying she's labor and delivery nurse. And she said the best part about my platform is that I've been able to connect with women after they've had the baby. She said, because I'm only seeing them for that short that's period like of time. Us. And then you forget about the postpartum yeah. care. That's, that's I mean, I always said, I always wanted to know what happened to a woman after I gave her the breast cancer diagnosis. Right. Most times the radiologist and the ultrasound tech are the first people that they're actually meeting before they're diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. So really my platform was like, designed of like what happens next like i send you off into the wild like what who's your team like what does it look like what are the questions that that you want to know and that's why i'm so passionate about it because i'm learning every day every episode of my podcast every conversation i, I have love that this, you said that i love yeah that you said like that. It's, it's learning what people want like learning what women need what women who've been affected by breast cancer who haven't yet but like this conversation will live in perpetuity so you know, somebody might stumble on this conversation five years from now, and we might help them in such a, a tangible way. I get messages all the time. Something you posted about on your TikTok made help me find my breast cancer early. There's no better feeling. Like there's no better feeling knowing that we could help people out there by just doing what we're doing, having a conversation about breast openly and honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's all I hope for all of this. So awesome. Thank you. So much for yeah. having, like, this is such an important and great conversation. And I'm really thankful for you guys having me on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is so I'm, great. I'm glad that the, we can make this work. And you have good energy. <laughs> is, like you're, you're the you. per, like, yes. you know, you're definitely doing such a great thing for women. And, you know, I'm just like a measly little ultrasound tech and I idolize my breast radiologist, but you're doing so good. And like, people will resonate with this. I hope whoever's listening that you will share this with someone that needs to hear it because it is a conversation that needs to be had. So. I always say tag a breastie that needs to hear this because everyone that. has a breastie. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, awesome. So for everyone listening, I'll, again, I'll link all of everything for Dr. Roth in the show notes, but also I'm going to message you. I'll email you um, and just get all the information that you talked about. I know you said there was a questionnaire in terms of finding out your risk yeah, analysis so we can everything. Yeah. I know you had said something. I don't know if they could do that at home, but totally, anything that we totally. can get any resources, yeah. um, uh, if you're listening, to, I don't know when I'll release this episode. It should hopefully be soon. I don't know if it's going to be this week. Yeah. Uh, where that whole move. Uh, I'm going to say you should clip. You should clip that middle part. I'm going to. Yeah, like that's yeah, the June only part that you honestly need. June sixth, and I really encourage everybody. Please follow me, the Booby Docs, across all social media platforms. I'm going to be talking about this all week. I really need to. Like this is our push, and I'm going all like full steam ahead on just like these recommendations don't go far enough women need like just facts like none of this like all societies need to be on the same page about breast cancer screening recommendations the importance of a self-breast exam like none of this anxiety and you know putting emphasis values on our breasts our breasts are choice baby <laughs> if i sit i can probably i'll share it to my stories yeah. if i can't get it out this week because I can see if I can push Friday's episode. We should send that clip. Like we should both post it as a co-collaborator. Because this is this is the message we need to get out there. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell the. I'll, I mean, I talk about breast health a lot, so I'll definitely. Yeah. The uh, episode, Katie. It's your episode this Friday. Do you want me to push? Yeah, your whatever you want to do, Mary. It does, doesn't matter to me. Yeah, let's okay. do it. All right. Like I'll, I, I'll get this one up. This is so timely and important. And like the fact that we have the possibility, I don't even think like, I've heard a lot of people talk about the recommendations, but 
they were not emphasizing the fact that these are only drafts and we have the power to change yeah. them. So like the time is now yeah. to let, uh, you know, I'm going to link it in my, my link in the, my bio of like where you could, yeah. you know, go directly to the website to let them where they know people to let the US PTF if you don't mind send that, short, sending that to yeah. me like if once we get off of this if you can oh, send that send to you me right away, I, yeah. I'll uh, I'll uh, send my assistant all of this yeah. that way we can work on that perfect uh this week and then we I can always go what do we um, need annual mammography when do we want it now no. <laughs> <laughs> well I love this thank this is such a good so conversation much. this is so informative awesome so, thank you so much thank you Another episode down and way more to go. But thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support this podcast, I would love for you to subscribe. I'd love for you to share it with others and post about it on your own social media or leave a rating and review. I cannot tell you how helpful and how appreciated those things are for me. Of course, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me over on Instagram at The Very Merry Life, over on TikTok, The Very Merry Life. And even if you wanted to check out my monthly newsletter, you can do so by subscribing over at TheVeryMerryLife.com. I'll see you next week. Stay tuned for more honest, raw, real chit chat. I have some amazing moms lined up coming on and shit's going to get fun. So buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be good. <laughs>